0: Hello, my friends, and welcome to Windsor Live. Thanks for tuning in. This week, we're going to do something a little bit special. We have a recording of a presentation put on by the Windsor Public Library that is absolutely fascinating and a hell of a conversation, and we'll introduce you to one absolutely badass woman named Martha Hennessy. But before we get to that, I just want to let you know what's going on this week. I hope you've had a wonderful Memorial Day weekend. I know I have, and I wanted to get something out into the feed for everyone to enjoy while also enjoying the weekend ourselves. And so we will be back this Thursday at 12.30 p.m. for the lunch stream edition of Windsor Live and at 7 p.m. for the evening edition of Windsor Live, as we do every week and delivered to your podcatching application of choice. You can check us out at www.windsorlive.net and... Reach out to us directly at cgoulet at windsorvt.org and for James, J Reed at WindsorVt.org. Just wanted to get the details out of the way first so that we can enjoy the show. Stay tuned for the entire talk with Martha Hennessy entitled Putting Her Life on the Line to Change the World. Martha Hennessy On her civil disobedience, why she did it, and what must change, on April 4th, 2018, Martha Hennessy and six other Catholic activists, calling themselves the Kings Bay Plowshares, met on Kings Bay Naval Base in Georgia, where they broke in and performed a nonviolent protest of symbolically hammering on statues of nuclear missiles, pouring blood and hanging banners with messages against these weapons the book they intentionally left behind was daniel ellsberg the doomsday machine it's a fascinating talk martha's a badass lady and i want to thank the windsor public library for bringing such an interesting story to us okay without further ado here we go and we'll see you next week
1: I'm Barbara Ball. I'm the director of the Windsor Public Library, and we're so lucky to have Martha Hennessy with her tonight, with us tonight. Um, Martha Hennessy is the seventh grandchild of Dorothy Day. She divides her time between the family farm in Vermont and practicing the works of mercy at Mary House Catholic Worker in New York City. She's 64, a retired occupational therapist, and grandmother of eight. She has been imprisoned protesting war and nuclear power weapons, the use of drones, and the torture of prisoners in Guantanamo. She has traveled to Russia, Egypt, Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan, Korea, and Palestine to understand the effects of the US military policy and war on other countries. Martha travels and speaks on the topics of life and work in in community, Catholic social teaching, nuclear abolition, and peacemaking efforts in the tradition of the Catholic Worker Movement. Thank you so much, Martha, for being here.
2: Thank you for having me and putting this together. So I thought, I've been doing a lot of Zooms this week for some reason or other. Um, There've just been, things have been happening. And I will speak for maybe 15 to 20 minutes just to give you an overview. Of this particular story, and then you know, hopefully we can have a rich Q and A session uh, to follow with that. So I guess I will start out with just giving you a little explanation and background uh, regarding the Plowshares movement. It began in um, 1980 with the King of Prussia, um, Pennsylvania action at the uh, GE plant and it was um, Phil Berrigan who started the movement and it's very much based on the witness and the understanding of um, Isaiah 2-4 where the ancient Hebrew uh, prophet spoke of beating our swords into plowshares and we have been trying to enflesh this um, particular uh, prophecy. Um, it's, a, it's a very uh, privileged thing for me to be able to participate in, in such an action. And it's also been one of the most difficult things I've ever done in my life. Um, we know that um, empires and nation states are not capable of disarming themselves. So there are small communities throughout history who have stepped up and, and tried to point out um, what is needed in our times. So we're just simply trying to unflesh this prophecy once again at this point in time in our history. Um, you know, we really could not um, do such an action without um, faith and without uh, working um, within a community. And the particular folks in my group, I have known them for some of them for many years and some only for about 10 or 15 years. And uh, the co-defendants that I'm with are Elizabeth McAllister, the uh, widow of uh, Phil Berrigan, and Father Steve Kelly, a Jesuit priest who continues to serve time in Glynn County Jail down in Southeast Georgia where we had the action. And Mark Koval with the Amistad Catholic Worker out of New Haven, Connecticut. Uh, Patrick O'Neill from the Garner, North Carolina Catholic Worker. Um, Claire Grady from Ithaca, New York affiliated with the Catholic Worker House there, Uh, Carmen Trotta, who um, has been living and working at St. Joseph's House in uh, Lower Manhattan for most of his adult life, and uh, myself. And we are also um, working and acting, in the tradition of the Catholic Worker of um, practicing the works of mercy, um, just to give you a little bit of a sense of what Dorothy, Dorothy Day, the co-founder of the Catholic Worker Movement, who, who happens to be my grandmother. She was really working hard to address the injustices of our secular industrial society it, um, the movement started right at the height of the Great Depression, where there was great displacement of people. And she also saw and witnessed over the decades a social and economic system that failed the ideals of democracy and of Christian goodwill. So these things are, are very well intertwined with regard to these uh, two movements. and. We are now two years of post action. Um, We chose the um, date of the assassination of Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. to do this action. And this was perhaps the hundredth action since 1980. There have been many on several continents, um, many of them taking place in the eighties and nineties. And we chose that date, because Dr. King spoke of the evil triplets of extreme materialism, um, racism, and militarism. And for us, the nuclear arsenal, um, 98% of which is in the hands of white Christians, the United States and Russia, this arsenal represents the keystone of what holds together this system of white supremacy and uh, exploitation and plundering of resources. And what we now have seen as perpetual war making um, since 9-11, nearly 20 years now, it's amazing to think about. And so we chose um, the site of Kings Bay, Southeast Georgia, because it's one of the largest naval bases on earth, and it houses the um, Trident nuclear submarine uh, missile system. We have another similar base out on the west Coast at Kitsap on Puget Sound, and there has been a plowshares action there back in two thousand and nine, I think it was. And so this weapon system has the capacity, To strike anywhere on the planet um, within 15 minutes. And these submarines prowl under the ocean 24 7. They've been doing it for decades. And we thought that this would be a good location to bring attention to the illegality and the immorality of such a weapon system. We did um, post an indictment on the administrative building of this naval base, um, speaking to the fact that under several treaties, we are violating the law. And as citizens um, based on Nuremberg principles, when we know that our government is committing war crimes, Committing um, acts of inhumanity. It is up to the citizens to stand up and point this out Now we also um, left the book by Daniel Ellsberg who was the whistleblower of the Pentagon Papers regarding the Vietnam War and His latest book is called the doomsday machine confessions of a nuclear war planner And it is in that book that things are very clearly laid out in terms of the Pentagon's work that it's been engaged in since 1945 um, with regards to nuclear weapons. And, you know, we have continually violated the non-proliferation treaty um, over the decades. Um, Every five years, there's A meeting at the UN was supposed to be one this year but because of COVID-19 things will be happening on zoom but essentially what the United States does is um, obsticate um, obstruct um, not in good faith uh, working towards um, nuclear abolition and so for us we felt that um, this kind of an action, you know, it's clearly not something to be taken by most people. Um, but we felt it was very important to walk onto that base and to witness. Um, we ran into um, what's called, um, we called it the missile shrine, but it's like a display of all of the um, trident d2 um, missiles that carry these nuclear warheads, you know, showing the progression, I would call it regression of each weapons phase that, you know, became bigger and bigger and more powerful. And it was there at that site that some of us strung up crime scene, tape, um, poured blood on these missiles, um, spray painted abolish nukes now, and uh, other things like blasphemy, idolatry, we do feel that the state religion of our country at this point is one of nuclearism. You know, we, we are playing God by um, having this um, capacity to commit omnicide. Um, so we, we really, you know, reached out and spoke out and stepped out on behalf of humanity and on behalf of God's creation um, to really point out that this nonviolent, direct, sacramental denuclearization was something that we felt compelled to perform. We were put on trial back in October and it was virtually impossible for the jury to even begin to comprehend what this case meant that was in front of them, brought in front of them. We were lucky to at least get people who were not employed on the base to serve as jurors. And we were essentially stripped of any kind of sensible defense. Um, Typically what happens is we try to use the necessity defense where you break a lower law to um, prevent a greater tragedy or greater crime but I would now argue to say that you know we are actually upholding the rule of law not breaking the law but um, two days before we were placed on trial the judge, um, handed out the rulings, which you know lets both sides know, defense and prosecution, how to proceed. And she essentially stripped us of justification, necessity, char- um, defense, also international law. And also we had tried something different in the history of the plowshares movement, um, looking at um, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, which you know, was originally intended to protect the indigenous people's sacred sites and sacred rituals, which they were stripped of in this country. Um, but it has since been used by uh, religious fundamentalists to uphold things like not baking cakes for gay married couples or um, interfering with uh, health care plans for female employees with regards to birth control, things like that. But we had in the wings expert witnesses um, ready to testify, Um, Daniel Ellsberg being one of them, Um, Janine Hill Fletcher, a theologian from Fordham University, Um, Bishop Kopotz, a very good guy from Jackson, Mississippi, all ready to, and Francis Boyle, professor of international law, a very... um, Experienced in his field all of them were ready to come and speak about Why we did what we did? Um, but the other thing that the federal government has been very successful in in since the 1980s is simply not allowing expert testimony regarding the legality of the nuclear arsenal and So we now continue to wait for uh, sentencing. Um, We were told that we could do remote sentencing because of the uh, virus epidemic, pandemic. And we were given dates of um, May 28th, 29th of next week. And I myself um, chose to ask for a continuance because we are, allowed our constitutional rights allow us to refuse to be sentenced remotely that we insist on being in person with the judge and allowing the public to hear the sentencing hearing and that was my motivation to ask for continuance i now have been given a date of june 29th to um travel to brunswick georgia which At that point in time, I don't know that it will be safe. I may ask for another continuance to wait until it actually is safe to travel. And we do have a Liz McAllister who will be going through with her sentencing remotely because she is not facing any additional time in prison. She already served 15 months. And Mark Koval himself has served 15 months too as well. But the rest of us have only served somewhere two to four months. And so the recommendations are to give us, you know, something like 18 to 30 months in federal prison. And it's just unconscionable that the courts would say it's not safe for us to go to the courtroom, but it is safe for us to be sent into federal prison because the government has Obstructed our request for home confinement. I wore an ankle monitor for a year and a half, and was on home confinement, and and then and then a curfew. And it's just so clear. I mean, when we were in the local county jail, hearing the stories of the women, being in the courtroom, um, witnessing how the court functions you know it's it's simply designed to uphold this system of of racism and injustice and you know we are seven white people we're people of privilege and we've been able to most of us went pro se um, representing ourselves just because that provides an opportunity for defendants to really speak directly to the jury as opposed to what the lawyers, you know, have to do under the auspices of the judge. And it's been a very long time. It's, you know, I've been engaged in this for about four years. I do expect to be um, sent to prison at some point. Um, I understand that um, this pandemic is hitting the prison system very hard. Um, So, it's all very unclear what what my future is. But, uh, you know, I, I do understand that, that the only sustainable thing in all of this is, you know, love. And Dorothy certainly spoke about that and, you know, gave us a very fine example in her lifetime of practicing the works of mercy. And I just would like to uh, read to you a little, um, component of what she, something she wrote in, in uh, 1940, you know, again, trying to explain herself, it's, it's called the aims and the means of the Catholic worker, and, you know, we always need to reframe what we're doing and why, and I think that, you know, she has done a beautiful job in this, in explaining this, and... I'm very sorry. I don't have it right here at my fingertips, which I thought I did. Um, well, anyhow, sorry. I can't I can't share that with you. Um, but essentially she's saying the vision is we want heaven on earth. Um, and there's no reason we can't have that if we live, you know, moral lives and if we have a revolution of the heart and if we, If we want to call ourselves Christians, we follow the example of Jesus where he, the night before he died, he washed the feet of the disciples. You know, we are here to serve each other and we are here to take care of the most vulnerable among us. And that's, that's very clear. And I will just end with what I also feel we should be calling for. And the plowshares, the Kings Bay plowshares are just one tiny little component of a very big global movement. So let's keep that in mind. Um, There's the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons that now has 80 signatories to it. And that was um, produced by ICANN and the UN in July of 2017. And we really need to sign on to these treaties. And of course, the nine nuclear states are the ones who boycott most of these hearings and treaties. But the five points that I want to make, and this is um, put out by preventnuclearwar.org, there are many sites to go to to really learn and study. Um, The Bulletin of Atomic Scientists now have the doomsday clock at 100 seconds to midnight based on things that have occurred under the current administration with um, disregarding treaties and creating a new nuclear arms race. But the very first point is the Pentagon holds the first strike capacity, and we need to renounce that, renounce that option of first use of nuclear weapons. It's not a deterrent, it's not a defensive weapon, it's an offensive system that we have put together. And unchecked presidential authority to launch, take the US weapons off of hair trigger alert, cancel the program to build enhanced nuclear weapons. We now have 30 billion Um, dedicated to upgrading our nuclear arsenal. And meanwhile, we have our local hospitals collapsing and many other social services um, just being on the edge and pursue the worldwide agreement to disarm from nuclear weapons. And that's, of course, the NPT, the Nonproliferation Treaty, and the TPNW, the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. So I do believe that we have the solutions at our fingertips to change the direction that we're going in with this threat of nuclear holocaust and climate catastrophe. I do believe that the current pandemic is being used to enforce austerity on the United States. I mean, we've been doing this for decades to other countries, and now it's something that we get to live under. And so I would just um, end with that and open it up for uh, question and answers from all of you. Thank you so much. And I'm not sure who will navigate the Q&A, but that will have to be done.
1: anyone want to start with a question?
3: Um, um, Sharon. Are your uh, movements, <clears throat> movements limited at this time or are you free to travel or be where you want to be? Well, travel is moot now with the um, quarantine
2: in place. Right. Um, But I'm on curfew, I need to be in my house from 8.30pm to 7am. And if I want to travel, I need to get permission from the court, I have to submit a motion and I have done that in the past two years um, to visit family. But When we were um, sentenced under the initial magistrate I claimed that I live and work in two different places so I, I had permission, I didn't need a court order to travel and be at Mary House down in New York, but I have not been there in almost three months now. We don't have the ankle monitors those were taken off of us. Right before the trial, because the judge didn't want the embarrassment and inconvenience of the ankle monitors going off when they were not charged.
4: Okay. okay. I have a quick question. Eleanor. Yeah. Um, Martha, could you please repeat the, the five items that you listed toward the end? of your talk? Yes, absolutely. Renounce
2: the first strike posture that we don't claim that we have, but that is what we have said that we would do. End the unchecked sole authority of any US president to launch a nuclear attack. And it's very unclear what the chain of command is, as you can understand reading The Doomsday Machine by Dan Ellsberg take the us nuclear weapons off of hair trigger alert cancel the plan to re- refurbish the nuclear arsenal you know put that money into human needs and actively pursue the um, verifiable treaties that are actually in place and start to implement the rule of law
4: thank you and so are you are you saying that we're in hair trigger The hair trigger Uh, thing—I forgot what you called it. That's—we're under hair trigger alert
2: all the time. Oh yes, we've been that way for quite a while. It's all a miracle that we're all still here.
4: Okay. Thank you. Other questions? Question.
1: I'm kind of just wondering if, um, if you could talk a little bit in like a non-hypothetical way about um, power because it, it seems like we have the answers. Like logic and compassion leads us to the ways to solve these problems, like get rid of nuclear weapons and decommissioning and, and not building more and you know distributed power, but how do we... Um, you know, force decision-makers or seize the power to make these decisions ourselves. Um, and I think what you did is a really great example of how to do that, you know, and it, um, I really imagine, like, took a lot of heart and many other things. But what are what are some other ways that people can flatten this power structure or, or redistribute or take this power and use it um, in better ways than it's being used right now?
2: Thank you. Well... We claim to have a democracy, hmm. and, you know, our congresspersons are the ones who get to say yes to the budgets, to, to give, to, to fund these programs. And the horrible reality is, is that number one, our legislators don't even understand the destructive power of these weapons, you know. Multiply um, more powerful than when we did use the bomb in 1945. And the other thing that they don't understand is the cost. Um, so I think, you know, we can challenge the power structure and we need to continue to challenge it, but it's rigged. <laughs> yeah. You know, to to see what happened to Bernie's campaign, you know, twice. He's not done yet, I understand. and And, you know, he doesn't go far enough, as far as I can tell, with regard to foreign wars, but, you know, we can petition, and, you know, I have spent decades doing this, you know, writing letters, petitioning, uh, freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, practice all of those um, rights and responsibilities, but I believe that what we're living with today is complete corporate control of everything. The definition of which you know fascism talks about it's business that's in control of everything so I think we have to come to the realization that we are losing our democracy and right now there's this whole campaign going on to suppress the vote and that's been going on for decades for black people in the South um, so you know when you when you ask how do we take the power?" I mean, I would say that the biggest power we have is our consumption, and unfortunately, we're all too comfortable to complain or to put ourselves at risk and you know we've got cheap beer, we've got cheap gas, we've got cheap cigarettes um, I don't mean to be facetious, but What does it take for a person to step out of their comfort zone and, you know, to take a stand and to do such a witness as this? And this is very small. This is tiny. This is a a tiny effort. You know, I think that um, Martin Luther King Jr. and Phil Berrigan both called for an economic boycott and shutdown. And unfortunately, we kind of have that right now, With this pandemic. But you know it's controlled by the wrong people. Um, I think you know the purpose of what's happening now is to impose even more austerity. I mean and this is the natural outcome of advanced capitalism. I mean this is where we end up when for profit for a few is the bottom line and the way we've structured things. I know that there's the Poor People's Campaign, they were going to converge in Washington on June 20th. I think that that's an incredibly important movement. I think that, you know, there are many movements that can come together and, you know, call for a shutdown, stop consuming, and have very specific demands. But, you know, as Eisenhower called it, the military industrial complex, well, it is now the corporate, military, congressional, prison, lobby, um, complex. But most of the world truly understands the horror of what we're about and wants to see change. And all the traveling that I've done, you know, the young people hold great hope out for real democracy and, you know, we have lost We have lost that leadership role. We have squandered it um, with these wars that, you know, the the horrors of these wars is something that has really enslaved all of us. So how to seize the power? Um, We've got to educate ourselves. The media, the media is completely taken over by corporate interests. Um, You know, I think what comes out of this um, pandemic and this lockdown will be very interesting will be an indication of what's going to happen next and it looks pretty grim (laughs) based on all the evidence it doesn't look so hopeful but you know we are called to retain faith hope and love and keep organizing keep doing these small local efforts and it's very important. You know, I, I'm i saying a no into the wind because it's better than being silent. So, sorry. I don't have very good answers. That last part was beautiful. The no into the wind.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I feel like I get excited about local things happening Mm -hmm. and feel powerful and feel like we're really headed in the right direction in our towns, in our state, and I get really overwhelmed and just, oh, the country is just a mess.
2: (sighs) Yeah, small scale is is good. Maybe the governors will be able to do more on the local level. I mean, it, the the federal government is making it very clear <laughs> they're not going to be helping the states. I mean, they're purposefully running out the budgets and running down the the funds. So yeah, it's 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 a question of getting smaller and mutual aid, mutual assistance, and um, going without more, which there's a whole underclass in this country that knows darn well what going without looks like. And, you know, who wants to, who wants to do that? But we all do have to live more simply so that others can get the basics. What do we do about the Jeff Bezos
3: of the world? Stop using Amazon. Mm -hmm. That's a good start. (laughs)
4: Yep. I have a, I have a question. Um, Have you heard of Gene Sharp? Yes. um, Albert Einstein Institution? Yeah.
2: Anybody? Yeah. Um, You know, he's, he laid things out very well for nonviolent disruption. And I think the Occupy movement certainly studied him. And yes, that's another
4: Fabulous resource and tool. Uh, He's he's written a bit, um, and I have a couple of his books here. And uh, the mission of the institute is to defend democratic freedoms. I'm summarizing um, Mm -hmm. opposing oppression and reducing reliance on violence as an instrument of policy. His focus has been on. well, one book is called "From Dictatorship to Democracy." Mm-hmm. Um, and I wouldn't say we're at a dictatorship yet, but I think I think we're approaching that. Um, it may not be the classic single leader dictatorship, but in terms of loss of freedoms, I think it's similar. And I haven't I haven't had contact with this for years and years. But I thought I would bring it up as um, a possible resource, especially uh, if anybody was interested. Thank you.
2: Yeah, yeah, from from the Catholic worker perspective and the plowshares perspective, you know, it has to be a nonviolent revolution, because you know the means Gandhi spoke about the means are the ends, and any any continued violence is just going to come out with the same results that we've seen throughout history. I'm convinced.
4: Yeah.
1: What gives you
2: hope? Uh, my community, my gardens,
0: mm-hmm.
2: my my family. I mean, the world is such a beautiful place, and there's such wonderful work to be done. Um, there's tons of hope, and there are many, many, many people out there working very hard for a better world. You know, for us Americans, it's kind of a tunnel vision where things look pretty grim. Um, traveling gives me hope, you know, being in, getting out of the country and... Um, seeing a different perspective, very, very important. Um, and what's the, what's the um, result of giving up hope? Um, you know, we're, we're not called to lie down and give up. We're called to keep working and struggling.
4: I think uh, one thing that gives me hope is the fact that um, for me is mental health month and there is a lot, a lot, uh, uh, there are a lot of organizations who are having free webinars with famous people like John Kabat Zinn and mindfulness medita- meditator person. And um, seeing all these different, I'm getting like 10 emails a day from different organizations that I've just kind of collected over years and years and all of a sudden they're coming up with free webinar about resilience and a free mm-hmm. webinar about um, compassion and free webinars about all kinds of things that really fit with the, the, the um, feeling of the pandemic and how people are, well, and myself, I've been pretty much by myself now in isolation for three months, a little bit longer. And I'm getting a little bit, um, loopy <laughs> so um, what, what gives me hope is that all, there are a lot of people in these organizations who are publicly more publicly more visible um, than they used to be and also the idea of the mindfulness meditation is becoming accepted um, all over the place where it used to be you're just woo woo weird stuff, mm-hmm. and that gives me hope too that hopefully there'll be a like a tipping point where enough people understand about um, well, all the stuff we're talking about, and that they don't want to live this way,
1: mm-hmm.
4: and that hopefully, like I said, hopefully, there'll be a tipping point where um the people with the power will either either change their minds or will somehow no longer be in power. Anyway, that's just kind of what gives me hope.
1: Mm-hmm. Other questions?
4: Hi, I'm, I'm Rebecca um, from Windsor. Um, can you hear me? Yep. Okay. Um, so, Martha, one of the things I'm thinking about as you were sharing is that you had um, this group of peers, people that um, that sort of uh, you were bearing witness with these folks that you've come together with, and and I and I'm just wondering how do you um, create that that sort of collectiveness um, or group, or um, uh, how does that happen?
2: Yeah. Well, it takes decades. Um, Hmm. We we also have a a group called the Atlantic Life Community, and that was, you know, the Catholic workers along the eastern seaboard coming together annually or, or twice a year. And that was founded by Phil Berrigan. And, you know, the tradition of building community. I mean, it takes takes a very uh, mindful um, effort to decide that you want to live a certain way and you want to organize with others who want to make changes as well. And, I mean, Vermont did have a Pax Christi um, group. But I think that that's been very inactive lately. But there's also WILF, Women's International League for Peace and Freedom. I mean, there are organizations, very longstanding organizations that do still exist. Um, for me, you know, I just, I feel so fortunate that, you know, I was born into this particular milieu and was able to, you know, return to it in a very, very powerful way later on in life. Um, You know, we would like to think that our churches were places that would be thinking about humanity and justice. Um, But yeah, you know, we're, we're made into nuclear units of, of, you know, family units that are built for consumption and isolation. And we have to break out of that. And it's very hard to do with the materialism and the technology um, that our culture is based on. But you can find community, for sure. Other questions?
3: Uh, Sharon? Is there any particular kind of support that you are looking for more of right now as you go in the next month or two or whatever it might be into sentencing? I'm sure you have family support, but are there other things that would be helpful for you? Well, you could go
2: to the website, www.kingsbayplowshares7the numeral seven and they have they have news about the whole um, action and the whole time frame. They have media coverage of it.
3: Could could you uh, type that into the chat?
2: Yes. Uh, Sorry, I, I well, should have done that. that- Yes. Um, I can do that if you'd like. Yeah.
3: Okay. Great.
2: And, you know, there's been a letter writing campaign to the judge pre-trial. There's a donate button that always helps. Um, You know, I don't know what else to say about specific um, support. Um, I'm always happy to see you, Sharon, at the co op, and that always gives me a boost in the arm. <laughs>
3: I'm staying home at the moment.
2: Yeah. 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 But the, the website, you can learn a lot on the website. There are some other ideas there, too, about organizing locally. Um, the first summer after the um, action, um, Jim Kenyon of the Valley News uh, did an article, but it was just pretty fascinating that there were zero comments about it um, afterwards. So I think sometimes these things have to be orchestrated where, you know, letter-writing campaigns, letters to the editor. Um, The nuclear issue is just so invisible. I mean, we grew up with a fear of it. But my kids' generation, it's completely invisible. We've, we've managed to hide it directly in front of ourselves. Um, So I don't know, writing articles too is helpful.
1: Thank you. Other questions? I have a question. I was just wondering how do you feel like your work will continue in if you if and when you go to prison?
2: Well, with the plowshares there are three phases of the action. One is the literal or the this literal action, the symbolic disarmament action. And then the second part is witness in the courtroom, you know, trying to bring um justice and accountability in, in our judicial system about this issue. And then the third component is jail ministry. And, you know, one of the works of mercy is to visit the prisoner. And there's no better way to visit the prisoner than to be one yourself. And, you know, when I was down in the Camden County and Glynn County jails, There's all kinds of things that you can do to help the women. I mean, the women are just incredible in terms of the stories they have to tell. And, you know, they help each other. It's just, you know, an amazing, amazing community. And it's a community full of great pain and suffering and violence and addiction and injustice. Um, And I do hope to discipline myself to write down this story. it's important i'd like to write about you know how i ended up coming to such an action and and how i ended up returning to the church and how i ended up returning to the catholic worker but there'll be plenty to do i mean steve kelly talks about there's not enough hours in the day to get done what you need to do if you're Mm -hmm. focused you know he's a jesuit he's well trained and he has spent a good amount of his prison time which is about a decade in solitary confinement so There's exercises, reading, writing, listening to the other prisoners, um, plenty to do.
1: Other questions?
2: Martha, this has been such an honor having you here. Thank you so much. Mm Yes, thank you. It's, it's always good to have these discussions.
3: So when you are serving your prison term, as you say you expect to do, I'm sure that you will maybe on the website have an address people can write to you. Yes. Yes.
2: yes. There's all kinds of jail support, and that website will be key in keeping up with it it's just not clear where I'll end up. Time will tell. Time will tell. <laughs> we're, we're hoping things fall apart enough that the case just disappears. But the government is pretty determined to make examples out of us.
3: Well, they let Michael Cohen out of prison because of COVID.
2: Right? Okay. Yeah, and who was the other one? Paul Manfort.
3: Yeah. So they might as well let you out. <laughs> yes.
2: You would think. <laughs> I, I, I watch Democracy Now! I think that Amy Goodman is very good and. Keeping us abreast of the news, um, Jeremy Scahill of the Intercept. You know, some of these alternative media sites are very, very helpful too to stay abreast.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: One more question, and I'm sure that this is something that for you is uh, helping your state of mind. Uh, What are you doing in your garden at the moment?
2: Uh Today I planted um, green beans and yellow beans and zucchini and yellow squash, summer squash and beans. Um, We have maybe half of the garden planted. Um, My husband still has to cultivate the big section and the flowers. I've really been going at it with the flower beds that have kind of been neglected the last few years. So it's, it's been a blessing to be stuck here and, taking care of the gardens and we've got the apple trees blooming and it's just so incredibly beautiful
1: any last thoughts anyone thank you everyone for being here thank you martha especially for being here this has been really amazing thank you
2: and keep up the good work all of you